the doctrine of how a big-hearted father is taking in spiritual orphans and loving them like his own son. Uh, This good news of our adoption by grace uh, that we could never earn, but instead freely receive through Jesus is at the very heart of the gospel. The author J.I. Packer once wrote, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, and by that we could say the gospel, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship, their prayers, their whole outlook on life, means they don't understand the gospel very well at all. Is that your understanding of the gospel today? If you're here with us this morning, maybe you're not a Christian We are so glad that you are here. Is that your understanding of what Christianity is all about? See, I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of us Christians are trying to do life every day running on half a gospel that essentially says, good news, the judge has declared you innocent without saying better news. The judge is taking you home. He's making you a part of his family. And when we don't have this this rich understanding of our adoption, of by grace now being loved and looked after by the Father to the same degree that he does Jesus, our spiritual life will feel like we're always trying to fly with one wing. The Father did not send his son Jesus to die for you so you can manage through life trying to spiritually breathe through one lung. No, he wants you to come fully alive to his love for him today. Today on Father's Day, a day that for some of us brings joy, because we had a dad who loved us like our heavenly father. Some of us, it brings grief. We're remembering right now burying our father. For others of us, it brings pain. Because our fathers left us. They were hurtful to us. Or our, our father always seemed like there was something more important to him than us. Adoption by grace means that whether you have the best dad or the worst dad, you have by grace this Father's Day. A father who will always love you perfectly, who will never leave you, who will never be harsh with you, who will stick with you for eternity, and who says, you're always on my mind. And so we are spending five weeks lingering in the Father's love for us so we can come alive to the gospel of adoption. So follow as I read Romans 8 uh, in verses 14 through 16. 
The Apostle Paul writes, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Uh, In the show Ted Lasso, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen, if you haven't seen it though, it's, uh, here's the whole plot. It's about uh, Jason Sudeikis plays a guy named Ted, who's an American college football coach. He gets hired to coach a soccer team in London with zero understanding of soccer, an incredible understanding of people. And there's this scene in the first season where uh, Jason Sudeikis' character, Ted, is he's trying to encourage one of his players, uh, Sam, who is just, he's dwelling on all of his mistakes. He is stuck in his head. He can't get out of it. Whatever is on his mind is the last thing that he did wrong. And so Jason Sudeikis' character pulls him aside and he says, Sam, do you know what the happiest animal on the face of the earth is? A goldfish. He said, you want to know why? Because it has a 10-second memory. Now, there there are certain things that we would all be a lot happier if we could forget, right? Our student loan debt, uh, the bald spot on the back of my head that my son likes to point out every time I tie his shoes and, <laughs> and clarify, Daddy, you have bald spots. Uh, and I tell him the plural is voiced in the singular. Don't make it sound worse than it is. It's just bald spot. It's one. It's big. There are certain things in life we would all be happier if we could forget. There are other things in life that we will never be happy, hopeful, or content until we remember. Your adoption by grace is one of those things. You know, our hearts are like that goldfish. We forget. We get uncertain. We lose sight of being through the gospel, the father's beloved son or daughter by grace. We forget that feeling of him wrapping his arm around us and taking us home. We, we all come down with a strong case of adoption amnesia. And so what do we do? What do you do when you don't feel his delight and favor on you? When we don't sense his smile over us? When we're not experiencing his father heart toward us in Jesus? You know, if you've been listening the past couple weeks and thinking, this all sounds great. Everything you're saying about adoption, I love it. That is not my daily reality, though. What do we do? What do we do when we know we're sons by grace, but we still feel like orphans? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us in this passage that there is someone whose job is just to help us with that type of thing, whose job is to help us enjoy 
our adoption in all its fullness. The Holy Spirit, who takes the truth of our adoption and makes it alive in us. So two things in this passage that we need to see this morning about the work of the spirit of adoption in us. We need to look at the fear of a slave. And then secondly, the certainty of a son. So first, the fear of a slave. Uh, If you're a Christian, when we become unsure of the father's love for us, Uh, it creates in us this spiritual uneasiness, hesitation, uh, anxiousness, fear. Does he really love me? Can he really love me? With all of my mess, with who I know I really am, with all the ways that I'm not living to my spiritual potential, I haven't become who I thought I would be, does the Father still love me? This is what Paul calls in verse 15, the spirit of slavery. You see, when in Jesus, the Father wrapped his arm around you and brought you home, called you his beloved child, He didn't in that moment give you the Holy Spirit so that you can now uh, live like his servant, but so that you can live like his son. So how do we know if we're living out of the spirit of slavery and not out of the fullness of the spirit of adoption? Fear. Fear is what marks life apart from the Father's embrace. You know, fear was the first thing that Adam and Eve felt in the garden after they sinned. They, they realized what they did. They realized what it meant. And when they heard God coming, they hid in fear. In the fear of his judgment, the fear of his rejection, of his absence, the fear of him leaving them alone the fear that creates every other fear in our lives. And you know, before you become a Christian, uh, that fear is real. You know, when you start to become aware that there is a God who rules this world and who will judge everyone in it, including me, according to his law, which I am incapable of keeping, then it should create some unease in us. That there should be a little fear that dawns on us that apart from God doing something that, that I cannot do for me, I am in completely over my head here. Paul is saying though in verse 15, when by grace the father names you his child, when he makes his heart your home, that fear gets left at the door. or at least it should, but Paul knows so often it doesn't. He knows that there can be this this lingering fear, this unease, this spiritual timidness, this hesitation we start to have, this boldness, 
before our heavenly father, we start to lose. This confidence in our prayers that we start to question when we start to lose sight of his fatherly love for us. When we start to worry, I'm not doing enough or being enough for him. A fear that like Adam and Eve sends us into hiding from our gracious father, even if we're coming here every week. You know, Christian, where are you hiding this morning? Where, where are you hoping to go unnoticed? Where are you hiding in your fear that the Father knows too much about this part of you to still love you the same? What in your life, what in your story are you holding on to this morning thinking if other people here really knew this part about me, then they would tell me I don't belong here. That is a servant mindset. See, when a servant acts out, they get fired. When a son acts out, they get fathered. I mean, it's the same with one of my kids. When, when they are obeying me, doing what I ask them to do, it is easy to parent them. There is no choice whatsoever. When one of them disobeys me, I have to choose in that moment to father them more, to love them more, to be even more committed to them. In our sin, we get the heart of the Father going out to us more, not less. We get him choosing by grace to stay our Father. And Paul is saying when we lose sight of that, when we start hiding in fear, it's because we aren't starting to think that we aren't anymore by grace at our heavenly Father's table, sitting in Jesus' chair, eating Jesus' meal. No, we think we're the help working in the kitchen. It's what Sinclair Ferguson calls the prodigal suspicion. Do you remember how the prodigal son in Luke 15 comes home? Uh, he, he's blew it with his father. He's failed him. He's embarrassed him. He has, he has no right whatsoever to be back in his house. And so he spends his trip home rehearsing a pitch that essentially says, look, I know me asking to be a son is probably a little bit much right now. What if instead I just became one of your servants? Lurking in the hearts of many Christians, Ferguson says, there often remains this sneaking suspicion. I'm not worthy to be God's son, but perhaps I can struggle through life as one of his hired servants. Start to spend more time lingering on our sin, on our failures, on our shortcomings than we do our Father's grace toward us and his loving embrace of us. We start to lose the melody of him singing over us in delight through Jesus and we become heirs who are living like servants. And for some of us, this prodigal suspicion can take us into all sorts of wanderings off from the Father. For others of us, we stay near home but are just as lost. 
You know, church can be a really easy place to hide out as a servant and not a son. You know, John Wesley had a a spiritual life that we would all look at and think, this guy is an inspiration. He, He was a minister. He visited inmates in prisons. He clothed and taught orphans. He kept the Sabbath on Sunday and Saturday just to make sure. He tithed, he fasted, he prayed, but he was doing it all to try and get the love of his father, not out of being loved by his father. And one day it all dawned on him. And as he puts it, he said, I had the faith of a servant, not a son. And then he became a Christian. And we all get adoption amnesia. We all start to live, even though we have the status of a son, like a servant again. So what do we do? Well, from the fear of a slave, second, we need to look at the certainty of a son. How is it that we can experience, enjoy, be assured of our sonship through the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, who Paul calls in verse 15, the spirit of adoption, meaning the spirit of the Son of God, who both gives us and assures us of the good news that by grace, the Father has taken us when we were at our worst and lets us now sleep in his son's bed, wear his son's clothes, sit in his son's chair and get in on his son's inheritance. And if you're, ever, if you're a Christian, you have that spirit of adoption in you right now. When Paul says we receive the spirit, he's talking about conversion. He's talking about when we became a Christian. He's talking about when we first came alive to the Father's love for us. The spirit of Jesus was put in you. You know, being a spirit-filled Christian, that's not reserved for just some select few, you know, the spiritual elite who just, they're really cut out for this. It's not talking about having some sort of ecstatic experience. No, it is the birthright of every child of God. And here's why that's amazing news for you right now. Because as Paul says in verse 16, the spirit himself comes to us to testify with our spirit that we are God's children. You know, Thomas Goodwin was a, uh, he was an English Puritan and uh, he, he once told this kind of made up story. He said, imagine for a second, you see a father and a son and they're walking down the road together side by side. And as they're walking, suddenly the father scoops up his son, he hugs him, he kisses him, and he whispers in his ear, I love you. Now, Goodwin says, before the father did that, was the son any less of a son? No. But in that moment where his dad picked him up, hugged him, kissed him, delighted in him, and told him he loved him, the son was experiencing his sonship. He was in that moment being assured of his father's affection for him. 
And Paul is saying here in verse 16, that is what the Holy Spirit is sent to do in us. The Spirit lets us experience the felt love of the Father. You know, if you're a Christian, what do you think your heavenly Father most wants for you today? What do you think he's most eager to do in your life? Paul is saying here, the Father's greatest desire for you is that you would not just know, but feel your sonship. You know, I think there's a lot of us that come in here every Sunday, slightly flinching, thinking the Father has been waiting all week to give us just a good spiritual kick in the pants. That your father's looking at you when you walk through these doors, kind of rolling his eyes, going, all right, put on your big boy or big girl pants and get it together. As if we've somehow rewritten Isaiah 30, 18, to now read, the father waits to be harsh with us. He waits to be impatient with us. He waits to be slightly annoyed with us. That his most longing is to say, Eric, just shape up already. And you know what? I fully own, I have stood up here and preached sermons that perpetuate that. No, Isaiah says your father waits to be gracious to you. That he's given the spirit of adoption to you because he most longs to bring you into a fuller enjoyment of his father heart for you of his fierce but gentle love for you where you most want to hide this morning in your guilt and shame. You know, the Father's response to our mess isn't disgust, but pursuit. That's where he most wants you to not only know, but feel deep down in your affections his embrace for you in the gospel. Where he wants to call you out of your hiding and assure you, you're not a servant. You're my son. And there's not a thing you can do to change that. You know, the other day, my son went to give me a kiss on the cheek and he missed and he caught me right and planted one right on my glasses. And uh, suddenly, everywhere I looked, I could not see life except through his love for me. I should have never wiped that off. The Father sends you the Spirit so that you can't not see life except his kiss. So what would it look like if your prayers started to match your father's desire. For your biggest prayer in life now to be the work of the Holy Spirit in you, assuring you of your adoption. And so how does the Holy Spirit do all this? Paul says, by bearing witness with our spirit. 
I love this. Paul is essentially saying here, uh, the good news of adoption is so good, the father is going to have to convince you that it's true every day. And you know, if all we had was to assure us that the father has truly given us by grace the same status, smile, and stateliness that he has given Jesus, if all we had was looking inside of us, for some sort of evidence, there'd be some things to encourage us. But if we had any sort of honesty, we would be racked with doubt. When Paul says the spirit bears witness to our spirit, he's using a legal image here. It actually comes from Deuteronomy 19 that says that any legal judgment to be valid, to be true, has to be confirmed by at least two witnesses. And God's saying, I'm giving you the second witness right now. And it's me. That is, 1 John 3 says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than even our hearts. You know, the Holy Spirit is, it is the Father's grace gossip. It is his redemptive banter in your life, persuading you to come out of our hiding and into the full assurance of the Father's love for us in his Son. He is the spirit of truth who in the courtroom of our hearts takes our side and says, this is a child of God. Not through some special message or revelation. No, through God's word and sacraments and prayer, the Holy Spirit whispers the Father's love into our hearts. What would it look like if you woke up to morning, tomorrow morning and everywhere you looked, you couldn't not see life except through the smudge of the Father's kiss on your lens? That's what he wants for you. That's what he's given the Holy Spirit in you to do. So how do we get this spirit? Jesus gives him to us. Jesus, who himself has experienced the work of the Holy Spirit firsthand. Who in Matthew 3, when he got out of his, the waters after his baptism, the Spirit came down on him like a dove to empower him for his ministry and to assure him of the, his Father's love for him who at the last supper told his disciples, he must die for our sins in order to give us the long promised blessing of the Holy Spirit, who on the cross willingly gave up his own assurance of his sonship so that we could have it, crying out in that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who three days later, was resurrected in the power of the Spirit, all so that now from heaven he can lift up his hands and bless us with the Holy Spirit. All because your big brother wants you to hear from the Spirit what he heard. You are the Father's beloved in whom he's well pleased. Let's pray.
Father, it is so easy for us to all have adoption amnesia, to have the status of a son and yet live like we are your servants. Father, we pray that you would minister to us through the Holy Spirit, that today and this week, you would assure us of our sonship, that in the places of our hiding and hesitation, you would welcome us into the full enjoyment of being your beloved sons and daughters by grace. Do that this week and do that now as we prepare to meet Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Amen.